If if you need a Bible, our ushers have one available for you. If you just slip up your hand. We are in a series of which uh, Jake set this up for today, a discussion about serving and the body, the the connection of community. And so let me give you a little rundown of where we've been. If you've missed it, uh, building the stronger church, we're calling it the essential elements. These are the things that we're praying that God does in our community here. We started out the first week, and I think it's the most important one to me, and that is our dependency on God in prayer. And so uh, we're really excited about what God has been doing and is doing in us. We ask God to keep us in the word. We've asked God to make us a generous people. Last week we talked about evangelism, intentional evangelism. In fact, we got probably 2,200 names from you folks on Sunday for people, friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers, acquaintances of people you want to pursue for Christ. And uh, I've got some amazing news about that stuff that we'll tell you next week. But uh, I guess the text company who actually ran this number for us said it was the largest response in a text from something like that he's ever gotten. So uh, num- names are still coming in. I'm excited about our intentional pursuit of lost people. Um, today we're talking about the body. We're talking about community. That's why we showed this video. And, and, and really service. And you can see kind of in the, in the veins of that discussion with the small group is that they, there's so much in it that God does with them in their midst of their serving. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I thought about this as a, a starter. I know everybody who's lived long enough has a particular job that they've had that they hated, right? You know, I had a job in, in, in the 80s. I was a hotel manager, believe it or not. Um, hated that job because it was predominantly about customer service. I'm not good at that. Um, wearing ties and uh, the fussy stuff. I, I use that for this this kind of kickstart to the conversation. I think a lot of people have such a distant perspective on the church that they almost feel like what they understand about the church is kind of like a job they hated. Like things I have to do, like I have to serve. Yeah, I get it. The Bible says I have to serve and I'm supposed to give. Yeah, I hate that too. And, and well, what about this generosity thing? And what about this submission thing? And I'm not really into all that. I know the Bible says it. It's kind of like a job we have to do, but we not, we're not into very, very much. And, and I kind of understand that. Um, there's also a possibility that some of you are so far outside of a, even a discussion about the church or what God or the Bible says about the church or how we function together that you're almost indifferent. You just picked the wrong Sunday. You showed up in your once every six weeks attendance record and you were talking about the connection of the one another's. Um, but I want to start out by telling you that God has a design for you. And for us, if you call yourself a Christian, and by that I mean you have come to realize your sin and inability, and that Jesus and the gospel, the good news that you can be saved by faith alone in Christ alone, that truth, that makes you a Christian. If you're a Christian, then I want you to experience the biblical God-authored design for you as a, as a follower of Christ, because there's a lot of folks who, who call themselves a Christian who live outside of that design, Right? And so um, I'll pigeonhole you a little bit. People who live outside of God's mandated design for the body or the the, the family of God have a tendency to have all sorts of bad scars, all sorts of bad experiences in their life, and they, they could be called strugglers. They feel very alone in their faith. God seems distant. They're very, very tired um, of, the, of the struggle. In fact, even the concept of, about God or, or talking about church or godly things or spiritual things seems like a, a foreign language because you're so not there. And, and that's probably due to the fact that you're living outside of the design of God for your, for your life. And so... Um, 
If he seems distant, that's probably why. And, you know, we use the, the, the illustration a lot, fish out of water, but that truly is what it's like. So if God designed you to function best in the midst of community and you're not in community, just like that fish who gets out of the water, who flops like crazy for a while because he's trying to breathe, only to tap out and say, well, I guess I'm, inevitably I'm going to die. That's kind of the spiritual journey for those who don't, aren't involved in the biblical model of what we're supposed to do with each other in the context of the church. So God has designed us to flourish in a relationship with him in the context of the church. And so our, our discussion today is going to be about that. There's a couple of people in this room I just want to identify. One is those of you who are truly Christians, who understand the, at least some perspective of the church and its role in your life. And there's others of you who've been invited, who decided to stop by today, who don't know of Christ. And, and I'll just tell you this as well. If you're outside of the kingdom of God, if you're, if you're not a believer by your own, own confession, you're experiencing as well what it's like to live outside of God's design. Because God has designed you to know him and to fellowship with him in a relationship that's only possible through Jesus. And everything else you do in your life outside of being a Christian, you're just trying to make it work yourself. It's kind of like doing the impossible. You're trying to fix your own problems and sort out all the stories and all the, all the stuff that's going on out there, and you can't quite get there. Everything leaves you frustrated. Everything leaves you empty and longing for more. Well, that's because you're living outside of God's design. So maybe part of this discussion today is really about Jesus presenting to you the... Uh, the truth of the gospel, the good news that you can be saved, that you can lay your sin down and embrace a savior to have your sins forgiven and then walk in freedom. That's a truth we'll, we'll uh, continue to talk about. But for the rest of us, those of us who say, no, I get, I get the Christian thing. I get church. I would declare that I'm a believer. Then that's our, our responsibility today is to understand from God's vantage point, his design um, for our good, for our growth, and for our joy. Here's the first thing. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you three particular passages to look up and three points to make. Real simple. We're talking about God's design. The first one is that God has designed us to belong to each other. Okay, this goes against the Americana independent Lone Ranger perspective that most of us are born with. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have your Bible, and starting in verse 12 uh, through 26, Paul gives the church an understanding from God's viewpoint what it is to live together, to belong to each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul uses a, a very common illustration to describe the church, and he uses the illustration of the body, just like the body is made up of hands and feet and elbows and knees and eyes and ears and all the pieces that make it function well, he uses that illustration to describe the, the church or believers together, okay? Now, I want, I want you to understand something here. There is power and authority and a real direct confrontation, okay, in the very first verse that we're going to read in verse 12. Let me, let me read it to you, and I'll make my point. Verse 12 of chapter 12. For just as the body, again, this is his illustration, is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Peter's not saying this is just simply an illustration or this is what it's like when everything's working at its top performance level. He's saying that's how it is. Definite article. This is how it is in the kingdom of God. God's people are formed into a body. There are, there are pieces and parts to this. So it's absolutely essential that we understand that it's absolute. Let me just draw out five, five observations from this passage. Verse 14 tells us, first of all, that many pieces, many pieces make up the body. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, 
but of many. So do you know what the application is there? Without you raising your hand, if you trust in Jesus Christ, it just talked about you and the person next to you and the person next to them and the person next to them and me and everybody else, we form the body. Everyone forms a body. No one's excluded from that body. So if you pick Redemption Gilbert as your home, um, wherever you pick for your church home, that place, that represents all of the one another's, the the body of Christ represented there. So that's the first thing he says in verse 14. Look at uh, verse 17, that all the pieces have a function. In fact, let me read verse 15 through 17. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So Paul's point is, using the body as an illustration, is that everyone, everyone is, is unique to the function of the body. You're special to it. To the big picture of what God wants to do with Redemption Gilbert, if this is your church home... You have a fit here. Now, the church struggles with lots of things. One of its primary struggles is insecurity and things like gift envy. People, Christians say, you know, mine's not that important or that's not significant. But yours, on the other hand, wow. And you have, a, you have whatever that is and that's really important. In fact, it's most significant. Well, that's not how it works, right? If we use the body as an illustration, take out anything you don't spend any time thinking about, Like my knee, I never think about my knee, I don't have pain in my knees. But if I lost one, if I had pain in my knee, I would suddenly have every bit of attention on this, you know, non-observant part of my body. And that's sort of what it's like in in the church, is that we, every one of us, are a part of it. There is not an insignificant part to the body. So if you're sitting there going, I don't really need to engage like that, Tim, you're wrong. Because Paul is making his point that you're significant to that for the function of it. Look at the third thing he says in verse 18, that God gives the pieces. God's the one who forms the body. Verse 18, Paul says, but, it, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. In, in other words, God is sovereign over who is in this room and who's in the conference center, both at 8.30, 10.30, 4, and 6. The people who say Redemption Gilbert is our home, God has put us together. God has done that. It tells me lots of things that God in his wisdom and his sovereignty, in his gentleness, in his ministry to the body has given us precisely what we need, right? That there isn't anything missing unless something is refusing to participate. God has sovereignly given us what we, what we need, his specific provision. Look at how essential the pieces are. All the pieces are critical, verses 19 through 22. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You see, Paul just keeps adding to the illustration of of how it's supposed to function. One is that, that there are many pieces right? They're all unique and very special. Everyone here has a role to play. They all have that function. God has precisely given us exactly what we need to accomplish the mission that he's called us to, and that they're critical pieces. They're all essential to the, to the function of the church. One, one last thing, and that is in verse 26, all the pieces care for all the pieces in the body. That's what he says. 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Again, big picture is the body has a role in each other's life, you know? In, uh, it was 1978, I went on a skiing trip, broke my, my uh, upper arm really severely, spent a night and a half in, in uh, the hospital. And I remember this like yesterday. Um, my body stayed up the rest of the night because it felt so bad for my arm <laughs> for, for two days. That's the, that's the function of the one another's. That's why this is not like Paul getting cute with an illustration and having many others to describe it. He's using a very specific, absolute, God-sovereign description of how we play. It's not like you can say, I don't want to be that body church. I don't want to be that one another church. There is no other church. You understand? You can't invent a different one. You can't invent one you can just come to and leave and have nothing to do with. This connection of lost people coming to Christ, belonging to each other, serving each other, essentially a part of the gospel story that we care for each other is the only church there is. So if you're on the outside looking in at church and go, well, I've never been connected at that level. I've never, I would never use the body to describe my relationship to a church. Then I'm telling you, you got to grow up in your understanding of what God has said about you and what you're saved into. Salvation isn't an isolated, independent thing. Do you understand? Are you saved from your sins? Yes. But you're saved into the body of Christ. Do you understand? And so Paul in 1 Corinthians makes the point using this absolute illustration of the essentialness of the one another's, the ministry of the one another's, the many facets of the one another's, and the fact that it all functions together. Do you get that? So we, we belong to each other. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians. Let me add the second point to our discussion today, and that is this. So found in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, but it's God designed us so that our growth was dependent on each other. So he designed us to belong, but he also designed us so that our growth was absolutely hinged to each other in our process of growing into Christ. So Paul makes this point in Ephesians chapter 4 in a section you might have in your Bible entitled Unity of the Body of Christ. So let's, let's see what Paul has to say here. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 4 and read through this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now skip down to verse 10. He who ascended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verse 16, key hinge verse here. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it itself builds itself up in love. Let me paraphrase what Paul just said. In other words, it is more biblical, more loneliness curing and depression solving, empowering, loving to be in a biblical community than anywhere else. What he has just made a claim to in verse 16 says that your growth, your stability, your strength in Christ is directly connected to other believers in Christ ministering to each other. That's his point. So, the majority, and I use this term always loosely, the majority of people who say I'm a Christian are not connected at that level. They attend church part-time, and they have no deep relationships with one another. They, they don't have what Paul is talking about here. So let me just ask you a question. Don't you think there's a possibility then that all the train wrecks you see around you are directly connected to our lack of obedience to the one another's? Like, is there a possibility, just think about it for a second, that all the broken marriages and twisted relationships that we have, all, all of the addictions and loneliness and hopelessness and restlessness and longings of people's heart is directly connected to saying, I love Jesus, but I don't love what Jesus loves. Any possibility? Like, I, I want him, I want, I want to get out of hell, I don't want to have to die forever, but all the ways that God has given the church to grow up and enjoy him and to experience the freedom from sin and to push back against the, the evil in the world, we choose to say, well, that's not for me because I only have, I only got like 10 minutes every other week for this stuff. I don't have time for people. And yet Paul made a statement here in verse 16, it's undeniable. So... I want you to see it, verse 16. Here's where he says, and I want to talk about the source and work our way through the structure of this sentence so that we get the power of what Paul is saying. And, it, and it's absolutely a, a kind of a, it's not just a hopeful description. It's an absolute description of what the, ch what the church does when it's functioning properly. Here's what he says, verse 16, from whom? It, it relates back to the last word of verse 15. Christ is who he's talking about. That's who it's from. This whole thing, this is his church. This is his building. This is, we are his people. This is his mission, his power, his words, his grace, right? Everything comes from Jesus. Yes. Now I want you to notice the subject of the sentence. Next phrase, from whom the whole body. Paul is getting ready to talk about us. He's talking about the church. So this is the subject. It comes from Jesus, all the strength and provision and power, everything we need for life and godliness. Okay, the whole body now is his point. He's trying to make a point about us. Joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly. Now here's the verb. Now make, understand the, the action that's going on here. Makes the body grow. So let's set aside the, what it produces or the action that takes place. Look at, the, look at the subject and look at the verb. He says, the whole body makes the body grow. You get it? And this is what he says comes out of that, when each part is working properly. So let me read a paraphrase. The whole body causes the growth of the body according to every one of you doing what God has called you to do. Do you see this? So we understand from Paul's illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 that there is this one another's part of this that's absolutely essential, God mandated, God created for us. Now, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, hey, and by the way, you won't grow without each other. 
In fact, the way that God designed us to grow was in that relationship with one another. The whole body causes the growth of the whole body as each one of you are doing what God has called you to do and wired you to do. Remember what we saw what Peter or Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians? Unique gifts. Everyone's not a hand. Everyone's not a foot. Everyone's not an eye. Everyone has a unique role to play. And when those roles come together, guess what happens? People grow. People grow up into Christ. So... We've seen that we belong to each other. We've seen that our growth is dependent on each other. Let me, let me give you one more point this morning, and that is this. God designed us so that our service brings him glory. I love the video that Aaron filmed this week from that small group because what you see is not a commercial. You see an absolutely represented small group of people who love Christ, love each other, and serve. And that's how this thing flows together. The community serves the community. And so the third point that I want to make is that God designed us so that our service brings him glory. I want you to flip to the right to 1 Peter chapter 4. Your Bible should be uh, worn out right here because we spent some time in 1 Peter. Chapter 4, just two simple verses, Peter talking about this service piece or the gifted, unique giftedness of the church. So again, to back up, Paul has said we were many parts essential to the thing. He also said in Ephesians 4, we'll grow because of the one another's. Here's how it will show itself in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This may surprise you. I don't know if it will. But one of the preeminent ways in which the church can bring glory to God is by its service. What we typically think, because we think so individualistic and independent, that God really just cares about these particular obedience things. Like if you laid out the Ten Commandments and I could do that, God would be really glorified in me. Now, is God glorified by obedience about those things? Yes. But one of the preeminent ways that God receives glory is by his church acting like the servants he died to make them. God came and he served, right? He stooped low and he took on a slave apron to wash feet. Every visible picture of God in the flesh, Jesus, meant he was a servant. The closer we are to serving, the closer we are to the heart of Jesus. And so here's what this passage says really clearly is that we have been saved to, to serve. So let me ask you a question. How are you serving? Okay, let me go back up. Let me just back up. Christian, right? Christian means you've recognized your sin and inability that God is a holy God and he has to judge sin, otherwise he's not God anymore. So he judges sin unless he judges someone else for your sin, who is Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died your death, took on the punishment and the wrath of God for your sins, and he gives you his righteous robes so that you walk free. Christian, how are you serving? This isn't for somebody else. Don't push it off on your family or your friends or someone else. Like those people, those church people, those professional church people, they serve. Because I'm the exception to the rule. How are you serving? There's a lot of reasons why people choose not to serve or reasons why they look at that command and go, mm, that probably doesn't work for me. Some of us would look at something like a service mandate like 
Peter's mentioning here and say, well, I've already served my time. Sounds more like a prison sentence than like a joy, a gospel-driven joy. I killed myself serving, and uh, it's time for other people to step up. Every time you read of one of these Hall of Fame of Faith men in the scriptures, their version of finishing well, their version of going all the way through it, finishing the race for Paul, was when life was over. Not when you're 55 and you can start getting cheaper coffee at McDonald's. That's not when life is over. (laughs) Do you understand? In fact, a retired Christian from serving is not only an oxymoron, it's sin. Does your life change? Sure it does. Do you slow down? Absolutely. Do you take moments where you step aside and let other people step up? Yeah, but you never quit. Agreed? You don't quit. You don't lay it down. Finishing well, finishing the race is all the way through. Here's the other excuse you hear sometimes is I don't know enough to serve. Well, here's, here's what I want you to know. It's not about quantity of knowledge. It's about willingness to serve. Willingness. And, and by the way, if you're struggling with what you don't know, the only way, the fastest way to learn is to do. I just encourage you to fight against those lies. Some would say I'm too busy. Really? Too busy? Let me challenge you on something. Whatever is big enough, whatever is the big enough reason for you not to serve, I would tell you is too big. If God has set you free to emulate your Savior, our Savior Jesus, who came to give his life a ransom for many to save and to serve all of us who are lost, if the, if the greatest thing the gospel does is change our nature into the nature of Christ and the nature of Christ was a servant of all and you say, mm, I don't, I'm too busy, then I'm telling you, you've got some other gods before the one and only. Somehow you've got it out of order. It's too big. You, you remember Joshua when he's reminding the people of all the amazing things God has done like, we could do that exercise here. Like, if we just said, now think about, think about your sin and think about God's salvation for your sin and think about God's blessing in your life and think about God's faithfulness to you. We could do that, but, but he does it in, in chapter 24 of Joshua. And Joshua is working the people through, remember what God has done. And then he says this. You're probably familiar with this. Now, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, the gospel frees you to serve. You're saved to serve. Not to absorb and sit it out and just receive all the blessings and benevolence of God. Do you get those? Absolutely. But you're now set free from selfishness and self-centeredness and independence. You can now march into service and go, this is where it's coming from. It's coming from the fuel of knowing Jesus who was a servant, who gave everything for us. Some people would say, I don't want to get involved. And I would say, Check your heart. 
You, you can't keep saying, I love Jesus and he loves me and say, I don't want to do what he loves. You can't keep saying that. You need to check your heart. So we take on the character of Christ. So let me, let me work you through a couple of absolutes in this passage that we saw in 1 Peter. Here's what he says in verse 10. As each has received a gift. Everybody who calls himself a Christian has been gifted in multiple ways. Like the Holy Spirit in his precision and his wisdom and his love has graciously given every believer in this room and in the conference center this morning gifts. Right? You know what it says? Look what else he says. Our ministry is for others. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Now you would think that's a no-brainer. You would think just the, just the definition of terms like service means that your energies would be focused on others. But the church has got a couple of problems with itself even now, and that is that sometimes gifts are more about us using it than it is about us serving others with it. All I ever hear of people is about their desire to do this or do that because it's what God's called them to, and I want to I leverage my influence. and <laughs> It gags me. Because it's about others. I found, I found this little strip, comic strip, in a leadership magazine. It was of a Christian artist, singer, sitting down at the piano, ready to play a song. I'd like to share a song with you that the Lord gave me a year ago. And even though he did give it to me, any reproduction of this song in any form without any written permission cassette <laughs> will constitute infringement of my copyright law, which grants me the right to sue your pants off. Praise Jesus. small little illustration of how people respond to what God gives to serve others, right? It's not about you. E even if you have what people would say, Uber gift, or some would say behind the scenes gift, it's not about you. Gifts are always about the body, always about other people, right? Understood? One other thing that Peter mentions um, here is that our ministry is an expression of God's grace, as it always is. Verse 10 again, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Everything good is because God is a gracious God. Everything good. And so we are stewarding this gracious gift of service to others, and it's from God. And one last thing he says, and it was the point I made in the very beginning, and that is this, in verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What are gifts for? Do, do people receive the blessing of them? Yes. But bigger and greater than that is the glory of God. So when you lovingly do something no one knows you do for the benefit of others, God is the most glorified. And when you tell somebody about the wonderful hope of Jesus Christ and you minister this evangelistic truth, God is most glorified. And when you go over to children's ministry and you care for somebody's kids so that they can come in here and hear the gospel, God is most glorified. And when you do something for M25 and you serve some food to people you'll never meet, God is most glorified. God is glorified in our service. So I gave you three simple things to think about today from, from a biblical perspective. We're designed to belong to each other. We're designed that in the context of one another is that we grow best in that, right? And we've designed that, that God's got a design that we bring him glory in our service. 
So what are our responses to a message like this? I'm going to give you the best word I ever heard. Repent. It's the word I've used ever since Jesus opened my eyes to see the truth. It works on everything. Repent of your sins all the time, church. So if you're sitting outside the context of the biblical one another's, if you've put the church at a distance and it's like your six-week, once-in-a-while special event attendance thing, and you call yourself a Christian, then you don't understand your role in others' lives or their role in your life, repent. Repentance is just turning from your sin. Come back. Come back to your senses. Get it back in line. If you've taken the position of services for somebody else, it's for people who have different types of gifts than me, I've already done my duty, whatever that is, just repent, right? Great word, great word. Here's the second thing I want you to consider in your response. Get with other believers. It's not enough to just say, I guess I should be and I haven't. I'm sorry, God. That's not what repentance is. That's confession. Repentance is getting right. So get in the context of others. Are there a lot of ways to get other Christians in your life? Yeah. Most people have no clue how, though. If I said to you today, okay, those of you who are outside of the context of the one another's, let's go take care of it. And you would go, well, um, I don't know what to do. I mean, I've been coming at 1030 on uh, the third week of every month for the last two years. I don't know who, I don't know anybody. I don't know what to do, and I understand that. There are many ways that you can get one another's in your life, but most people don't have a way. So let me tell you how you can very easily. Join a redemption community. We call them redemption communities, but they're small groups. They're people who love Jesus first and love each other and serve. And there's a, in your bulletin today, there is a box that you can check that says, I want, I want to join a redemption community. And again, I want to push on you a little bit. Don't assume this is for another day. If it's true that your train wrecks are directly proportionate to your disobedience to the one another's, then it just makes sense. You'd be a fool not to include it in your life, right? So uh, get with other believers. Join a redemption community. Find a place to serve. If you have before, do it again. If you haven't yet, start now. Serve somewhere. There is hundreds of children in that building next door. I could use a touch from someone who loves Jesus more than anything. There are uh, hundreds of high school, junior high students who could use someone to come alongside them. There is 20-somethings. There's M25. There's women's ministry, men's ministry. There is, there is guest services. There are people who are the front door to every visitor who comes here. And it's the most amazing ministry you can have. Find some place and serve. You can jot in the response tab in the bulletin, want to serve. Don't know where? Help me and we'll help you. If you know where you want to try, just say, I'd like to try. It's okay. We'll figure this thing out over time. Remember, we're going to make an effort towards this. Um, let me finish with just some, some information for you um, before we get into communion and worship. But just like Paul reminds the church in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that all the pieces of the body care for all the pieces of the body, sometimes uh, Needs arise in the church that need our attention. It's kind of like at home. I, I, I've got four sons. You know, we've got five men in my house. It's only 1,800 square feet. You'd think we could handle it. But for some reason, there's more weeds in my yard than rocks in my yard. And nobody's, like, called to weeds. <laughs> I'm not called to weeds. But I know what we're going to do. We're going to do all hands on deck one of these days, and we're going to take care of the family business because something has to get done. Service needs to happen, Right? Well, that's true in a church context. And I know what we have a tendency to think. Well, when there's a need, don't they have a list for those people? 
Isn't there someone there who just does that? Don't they call? Aren't there just a whole bunch of people waiting for that? And sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not true. So we're going to try to help uh, put a, a strength in our expression of service. We're, we've kind of invented these short-term service projects for everybody in, in small groups, from high school all the way to redemption communities, which means we're asking our church to take four weeks of their year and serve some place that they wouldn't normally, which fixes two issues. One is you don't have to make a decision about what your calling is, because I don't know if you're called to children's or students or whatever, or guest services. And you might be really, really busy, so we don't want to overwhelm you either, but everyone can get busy for a short period of time. Everyone can do that. And so we're gonna, you're going to hear more about our short-term service projects where people will be meeting the needs of the body as we, as we go along. So um, let me finish with some news. Uh, I always want to give you some resource to add to what we've talked about. We've put books in your hands every week in, the, in these essential elements. This is no different. This is called uh, Everyday Church Gospel Communities on Mission by Tim Chester. It's over in the bookstore this morning. This will really help you understand what God's desire for the one and others is when it's being lived out in, uh, in a gospel-centered way. Um, I also want to get you ready for next week. We're calling it Celebration Commitment Sunday. And the reason why we took these two essential elements and tied them together was to give us a week to do nothing but already celebrate and anticipate what God would do on our, our Commitment Sunday. So let me not exaggerate. Nine months ago, I started praying for these essential elements and, uh, and for this building that we presented to you many months ago. You should have received this when you came in. This is a, uh, a Building a Stronger Church commitment card. And what we're asking you to do this week is to prayerfully sit down with this. And please, at le- please at least do this. Pray over this. Pray over God's call in your life for this. There are three ways for our building expansion that you can participate. The first one is just a simple cash offering that God has given you an extra measure and you have it and you can just bring it. The other is, is a pledge commitment of three years, some amount of money uh, every month for the next three years that you can give. The third way that you can give is do both. My wife and I decided to do both. We decided to take money and commit for the next three years to the building project. You can do all one or, or, or everything. So the information is here. Um, please, please pray over this. We're going to do something special next week in our celebration. There will be things like scripture reading and prayer times together. We'll be doing lots of singing, and uh, I will be doing a devotional, just kind of a isn't God good kind of perspective. And uh, since we've already prayed for months and months and months that God would deliver for us in this building, we're going to take an offering. First time ever that I remember here. We're going to keep the boxes, by the way, general offering still at the, at the doors. But this building offering we're going to do together in the middle of a song. So we're going to pass the plate. I didn't want you to be surprised by it or scared or whatever, right? This is not a legalistic thing. This is just something we believe would be a great way to celebrate what God has done in our lives and our hearts. So I want you to put this in an envelope, whatever you decide to do and your money, and bring it next week. And we will do it as an act of worship in our service, okay? Everyone understand? Um, and let me just do one more commercial for prayer meeting. If I could, more than anything else that we've talked about, if I could take your hand and make you go somewhere for five minutes, I'd make you come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We had uh, 200 plus people on Wednesday. We gave them the list of 2,200 names of your friends, family members, acquaintances that you want to see come to Christ. They're already telling stories of people coming to the Lord. Um, it's unbelievably awesome to just say, God, do these things, like essential elements in us. So if you can rearrange your schedule, this is our last week of our um, prayer challenge in February. 
please come. If you can't come Wednesday, Friday night, we have the praise and prayer night, which we'll be doing singing and praying, just kind of praising the Lord together. And then hopefully our hearts are warm and ready for Sunday as we come back for the celebration. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for what you've done in us and, and how you've created this body, individuals, but everything we need for life and godliness you've provided and everything we need for the ministry you've called us to is in this, in this building. So I, God, I just pray that you would have us live in the freedom that the gospel provides, that God, we would look and act like Jesus, our serving Savior, and that you would get the glory, we pray. Amen.